Stardate 1126.2021. Welcome back to Star Trek Discovery Pod, the kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new and classic Star Trek. I'm your reluctant captain, Mike Garcia. With me on the view screen, we have Mariah Gossett, Clyde Haynes, and Grant uh, allegedly will be with us soon. Um, I kind of want to say what he's doing <laughs> right now because I know what he's doing. But uh, I don't know. That might ref- it might reflect poorly on him and us. Hey, so. just keep in mind that this is a family podcast. All right. So you can, All right. You know, talking about what Grant's doing when he's not here. <laughs> Good point. Well, let's move right along. This week, we are streaming the pod live on YouTube. And yes, we do have a few reasons to give thanks this week. First, after some corporate complications that had... Tons of people pissed off last week. Season four of Star Trek Discovery is now pretty much available to be watched and enjoyed by fans all over the world. Um, I think that was great that they were able to do that. We'll probably dive into that a little more later. And of course, number two, we are reviewing yet another brand new episode of Discovery season four. Uh, Season four, episode two, Anomaly. Written by Anne Kofel Saunders and Glennis Mullins, directed by um, one of our favorites, Olatunde Osun Sanmi. And folks, this was a good one. I'm giving you a preview of my hot freak right there. <laughs> before before we dive into it, Clyde, can you remind everybody uh, about the live chat? Yes, if you are watching us live and you want to participate, want to hang out with us, want to ask us questions, want to be in the pod, so to speak, then you can do a couple things. One, type capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in the chat, and we'll take a look at that. And if you have a hot freight that you want to share with us, type a capital H, capital F, capital HF in the pod, and we will know that that is your hot freight. I can talk, and I have been on the pod before. (laughs) been a minute though been a minute. <laughs> he's he's a little rusty folks all right like clyde said time for hot freaks hot freaks All right. And if you are watching or listening to us for the first time, Hot Freaks are our quick hot takes on the episode we are reviewing. Uh like clyde said, drop us your hot freaks in the live chat if you're watching live. So um okay hot freaks on disco season four episode two who wants to drop it first i'll I'll jump in since i wasn't here last week uh because i've got comments just a few a couple i'll keep it light keep it quick one i'm not sure if it was said but i hate these uniforms can i just say what i don't like the uniforms i I almost like the new uniforms i almost like them they I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think they're that flattering. I, I will say, say, I will say they're a little boxy, but um, yes. I really, I think they're pretty cool, man. I think I just love the, 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 the blast of color that we're getting on the ship. I love that. I like, I, that's what I'm saying. I almost like them. Like I like the idea of them, but I can't get that cool blue with the gold or the silver disco uniforms out of my head, those were amazing. So I'm just going to say those were my favorite still. <laughs> um, but overall, you know, it's, I'm so excited that disco's back. You know, I, there's so much, you know, if you're a cord cutter, um, like understanding when that episode that streaming is out. It's like, you're trying to keep it in your head. Or if you're like me, you're thinking that you've got to create a calendar of when things drop. Disco's one of those things that I'm like, yo, it's Thursday. Disco's available. Like I'm excited about that. And so, um, and this season hasn't not has, has been everything so far that I hoped it to, it would be. It's, um, you know, I could probably deal with a few more things happening on the ship but i think the character driven nature of this season um has been phenomenal i think anthony rap in this episode sometimes i feel like he's such a talent and everyone is um you got to give him something to to do and this week they gave him something to do and the emotion that he portrayed was amazing 
the I mean, can we talk about book for a second? Like, I mean, this cast is just like they've taken it to another level in terms of being able to convey emotion without having to go too deep into the theatrics. So um, I thought this was a great episode. I, um, I think there's a lot still to uncover with Tilly. And then just having Saru back on the bridge. Um, you know, one thing that's interesting to me about Disco is that you never really have a specific, like, counselor, like, officer, you know, that we've seen before, like a, you know, like a Deanna Troy. And, but we're seeing that Saru comes into this role as advisor, you know, uh, peace and probably a wartime consigliere. Like he's just, he's stepped into this role. And, you know, I haven't always been a huge Saru as captain fan, but I'm loving him as the first, uh, as number one, like the first officer is just amazing. So I'm, I'm really digging what I've seen. Um, there's so many nuances. This season is going to be something special. So I'm, I'm all for it. I know I'm all oh. over the place, but, <laughs> but I'm happy. No, I love it. I love it. Uh, you started with the negative energy, but you, you brought the positivity in the end. So. so if you have to think about it like this, Mike, if the one critique that I have after seeing two episodes is I almost like the uniforms, you know this is a good season. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Mariah, let's uh, let's hear from you. Yeah, I really liked that this is – I feel like we finally have the arrival of Discovery as a show. Right. Because I feel like every season, not that I have, I've thoroughly enjoyed every season of Discovery, but I feel like now that we are in the place and time where this ship has to exist, we have the characters set in place, and we finally get to have those fun dynamics between our bridge characters. And that's what I feel like I have wanted for so long. So we get the fun quips in the hallway. We get to see um, Tilly and, um, Colbert have like a very sweet and awkward and, and very tilly moment in the hallway. We get to see Mr. Saru, which is such a fun nod um, to the original series. We get some um, Picard references, which is like so fun to see them world building in yeah. this way and weaving in the other shows. Um, and I appreciated that we got to slow down for a moment and it almost felt like watching, I mean, a very action packed, but play between Stamets and book, because it was just such a character study between two very, um, talented stage actors getting to really play off of each other in, in those scenes together. So I, uh, loved this episode. I thought it was great. And I'm really excited to see where the season um, goes forward. I'm just hoping we get to. Um, I, I felt like I was supposed to understand the anomaly more at the end of this episode, mm. but I did not. Um, but maybe that's where <laughs> I'm supposed to be left. So we'll see. All right. Very good. I'm going to, I'm going to echo your thoughts, Mariah and Grant. We're doing our hot freaks. Grant just joined us. Hi Grant. Hello. I'll give you a minute to collect your thoughts. So while I do mine, but yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like Starfleet, ingenuity and human emotional connection saving the day in the face of this big bad space anomaly whatever the hell this was this was really good i i really enjoyed this one and i find that it's like a pattern with me that i always seem to really love the second episode of every season of disco and i was trying to figure out why that is and i think it has something to do with the fact that the show always seems to raise the emotional stakes at the end of the season premiere. And then in the second episode, it deals with like all the messy complications of those stakes being raised. And that usually means that we're going to get an episode doing all the cool shit that I love about Star Trek, which is like putting the crew through this mini crisis and forcing them to fight and, science their way out of this super tight dangerous situation while the the emotional stakes are also raised and we we're dealing with the fallout from that and that's what we got in this episode like in this episode the the physical threat of the anomaly was kind of they didn't really explain it well mainly because i don't think they know the characters don't know what they're dealing with but i thought the physical threat was pretty impactful and it was balanced well with the weighty emotion of book 
uh, dealing with his like immediate grief and and with Burnham navigating that the huge complications of being a captain in the face of like this huge tragedy and the tragedy straining her deepest personal relationship that she has on the ship like all they really balanced the the action and the danger with the emotional weight in this episode it was all really balanced really well and like all of our characters got some time to shine in this one everybody from tilly to uh adira like and and yeah stamets as well and yeah, um, David Ayala just just owned this episode. It was so good. Um, but yeah, that that streak of awesome second episodes uh, continues for me with with Disco uh, with this episode. Grant, what do you think? All y'all went already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, jumping in front of Clyde. Okay, nope, you're late. <laughs> uh, let's see. What did I think? Because I literally just watched it. Someone said uh, wet hair. Did you guys say I came out of the shower or something? <laughs> no, we, we left it a mystery. My hair is just greasy. Um, <laughs> but uh, my thoughts, uh, Saru is back, which is awesome. The the anomaly, which I was kind of like, eh, about in the first episode, seems a lot cooler now because it's not just this destructive force, but it's also this unpredictable destructive force. So I think that's excellent. Um this was a, I thought it was a powerful and emotional episode and a little sad. Uh, it seems like everyone's sad. It seems like Tilly is, you know, coming out about her depression and that there's a lot of grief going on for book. And it's just a, like, you know, Adira has some, some sadness with an impending, um, uh I, I shouldn't say breakup, but kind of like a breakup of sorts. Um with with Gray, you know, moving out of their consciousness to a, a corporal body, a synthetic body thing. That is kind of this this loss of 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 safety. Um and you, you can tell the grief that they're going through um with coming to terms with that. So a lot of this episode was just kind of melancholy. Um, you know, and I, I find that when I contrast this with other episodes where there, it's like a lot of, um, optimism and adventure and action, uh, this was heavier, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay to have these occasionally. I just, I hope it's not all of them that are sad because I need the escapism to be a little bit more, uh, joyous here and there. Well, Grant, I think that's an interesting note because it's, we've waited for Disco for a while. And while Disco is set way far in the future, I think the truth is, you know, we're coming out of almost two years of a pandemic. I wonder Are if we we're coming out of it. <laughs> let me rephrase that. We're two years into a pandemic. There we go. <laughs> um, I think we're going to see more weightier, heavier storylines because I think those are some real emotions that people are dealing with. Right. And I think, I think you're tapping into something. It's hard to, I'm not an actor, but I would imagine that it's, it's challenging to play really light, happy, funny characters when the world around you is a little bit, Strangling yeah. you, you I know. Mean, the other thing that's interesting is like this was one of the first bigger scripted shows to kind of go back to full production um about like within the pandemic. And I know they were one of the first to set a lot of the sort of safety protocols. So I mean, um, from what I've heard, uh, they obviously were successful at that, um, which is great that everyone was able to keep healthy. Um but I imagine that was also very isolating for all of these actors because essentially you got to go to work and then you went to your hotel room, you know, or your home right. in Toronto and that was it. Um, and then I know that Chad was talking about it and I've seen Sonequa Martin-Green talking about this in some of the promotion for the show. But um, she went back to work 12 weeks after having her baby and then also had lost both of her parents um, in April um, during production. And so mm-hmm. it just has to be like, 
such an intense emotional roller coaster, not only in her personal life, I would imagine that would then play into her. I mean, Burnham is also a very complicated and emotional character. So I'd imagine all of that um, had some impact on those performances. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I think that it is great and it's beautifully executed how they um, tackle dealing with, with people's grief, people's depression, um, all, all these weighty emotional subjects. I think that they did such a fantastic job here. Um, you know, kind of like, like Clyde saying, comparing it to what we're currently going through. It is, it's also heavy, but this is essentially what, like, especially you, Mariah have been advocating for like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of trauma that is going on here with these characters. There's a lot of impact and it makes sense to see the weight of that. And they Mm -hmm. fully leaned into it and having Hugh there as this, this, this perfect representation of, Hey, I'm going to um, be very gentle with all of you and just hold your hand through this. I loved it. I loved that. Yeah. The, uh, the placement of Hugh as uh, one of the de facto counselors on the ship is just great because he really does, like Tilly said, have a light touch with people. And he just seems like just such a solid person that you just want to pour your entire heart out to and that he'll be a rock for you. So I like I like them placing him, him in that in that space. Yeah. yeah I, the, Marge says, I wonder if the theme of grief reflects our own experience this past year. Of course. Yeah. These writers are just like, just like all Star Trek writers for the past, you know, uh, 60 years, they're very attuned to what's going on in the wider social consciousness of, of our wider community. So yeah, that stuff does uh, consciously and unconsciously work its way into the franchise. Well, and I love the fact that what we're seeing is we're seeing characters who are going through grief and trauma and you know i like i like shows that that allow us to think about well how should i handle the the grief and the trauma i'm going through the fact that tilly pulled colber aside and said i think i need to talk to you like like seriously like professionally I mean, that is a great nod to all of us that when we're going through something that we should say, you know, I think I need to talk to someone professionally that that you have someone like Saru in your corner that can say, hey, you know, I, I see what you're going through and I want to help you or looking at at book being able to admit, hey, I wasn't ready. These are all things that when you've been going through what we've all been going through. Um, and and it's not just like the specifics of the, the of COVID, but it's all the things that the quarantine and the pandemic have brought. Whether that is strained relationships or isolation or cabin fever, like I think that what we're seeing in this show, which is Mike to your point for the last sixty years, what I appreciate about about Star Trek is it's saying, hey, we're going to show you the way if if you'll pay attention. Um, and so I look at this and I go again, I just want to clap and say, this is why I love Star Trek as a franchise. Star Trek has always been aspirational and you said it, you you just, you hit it on the head showing us the way, right. And disco is continuing that tradition. Um, I think when we really need it right now in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, Grant, if you want something a little lighter, uh, try prodigy, Star Trek prodigy. Although that also I mean, deals with some heavy stuff. So. Yes, that's true. The opening episode had like child slavery. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> what are you, you doing can, to me, Mike? If you can deal with Dal RL, then yeah, it's good. He started Let's, uh, the hell out of me. We've got a few hot freaks from the live chat. I'm going to bring some of those up. Takako says, my favorite thing is that Stamets is now a verb. You yes. <laughs> know, I was going all Stamets here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a great hot freight from Chupi here. I loved capital L-O-V-E-D, everything about this episode. The pacing, the intensity, all the French scenes, and the scary end. It was what we were supposed to feel in Doomsday Machine. This massive, terrifying uncertainty. Let's talk about the ending, guys. Uh, Chupi um, brought it up for us here. Um Mariah, you said you were a little like 
maybe the show wasn't selling exactly what the anomaly was to you very well. You didn't really understand it. By the time we got to the end, did you feel it as a more of a credible threat for for the crew? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's always. I mean, from the moment we saw it destroy that planet, it's a, a threat. You know, like they definitely were like, "Here's the end of episode one. Here's the emotional gut punch right from the beginning." You know, and we're kind of trying to build our way back and prevent that from happening again, right? Um, and I think what I, I don't know. I guess I was just hoping for more of like a a hint as to if this was truly like a scientific space anomaly or if this has a uh source like is there a villain behind this you a know big like bad yep yeah is there a big bad behind this and so i think i was trying to like i was hoping there would be that line um you know that's like uh we've only ever seen this once before in a lab and the scientists were you know and maybe i could i could hold that you know and tell me who it was right at that point but like i don't know i was hoping there'd be something there um, but yeah, it's feeling like, you know, it's still very unknown, which is fun to try to figure it out. But I also felt like the burn got built up so much last season. And I felt like a lot of people didn't find the ending so satisfying. So I was like, I almost want a little bit of a tease out some more breadcrumbs of like, what is the cause of this? Right. So that it's like uh, building the anticipation in the right direction for all of us of what this anomaly could I- be. I do think, though, that what they're doing is contrasting this with the previous season, whereas mm-hmm. um, the burn was the source of division across, you know, the galaxy. And this is now, bringing everybody together. Yeah, now we're seeing, like, I, I thought it was a really cool scene, seeing um, the, not uh, not Vulcan anymore. Navar. Whatever they're called. Navar. Yeah, Navar. And um the other groups that aren't even really associated with the Federation still kind of stepping up and being like, this affects all of us. So we're all invested in trying to work together to do that, uh, to figure out what's going on here. So yes, this, this threat um, has the weight and without being a particular um, source, like a particular um, evil bad guy enemy, it has uh, power to try and bring everyone together finally and have maybe everyone collaborate to work together to science the shit out of this and figure out a way to contain these. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of cool to not have a face to the bad guy yet. Well, you know, at, at, at the end of this episode, we realize that the, the, the expanse of this existential threat, it's something that can wipe you out in an instant and you don't know where it's going to show up. So there was some talk at the beginning, like at the beginning, like we had um, Federation rep representatives plus representatives from um, planets and species all over the galaxy um, come together to try to figure this out, which is what you were talking about, Grant. But Burnham also mentioned we have to unite and work on this and figure it out because the Federation is just now coming together. The universe is just starting to um, uh, to connect again. Um, and something like this, an existential threat like this, could really um, tear everything apart. I think uh, was it was it the um, uh, the the leader of Navarre who said something like, "This could cause panic mm-hmm. and riots and division if we if people learn about this." Uh, so the threat isn't only a, you know, physical existential threat. It's also a threat of, you know, this could really change the direction that we're heading in. You know, the the Federation is building back up and we're heading back into classic Star Trek territory where everything is aspirational. Uh, but something like this could destroy all that. I think that's that's another level to this threat that I found pretty mm-hmm. compelling. Well, and and I want to add that I I actually like the fact that we don't have all the information yet, right? Like Mariah, just like you, I was looking, and going, okay, so is this is this a scientific thing or is this a big bad? But I'm actually okay not knowing, and it's because it's making me curious. It, it's a it's another thread and a draw, and it's almost like I'm going, my money is on big bad, right? Mm-hmm. So let's see if I'm right. But the difference that I find that makes this so much different than kind of the burn is one the burn is i felt like the burn was this thing that 
you talked about all season and but it it didn't impact you. We got to experience this anomaly tear through Quajon, mm-hmm. right? And in all of the incredible special effects that come along with that. And then we're seeing that it rip through the ship. Now, you got to admit, that whole loss of gravity scene was kind of cool, right? Like to see people just go, okay. And then even the moment where Tilly, where Burnham's like, when? And Tilly's like, we can predict. And it's in two seconds. Like that type of stuff makes this anomaly very real and tangible to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I'm experiencing The burn was like, we're upset over this thing that happened a long time ago that you don't really know about, but it's pissing us off and mm-hmm. we're and it's caused all this beef, right? It's like, I'm going to show you this infographic of what happened, but I didn't feel it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it was a letdown when it's like, oh, this is what happened? I don't think, I'm trusting the writers. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. So maybe my expectations are a little too high, but I'm expecting this to be epic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, P.W. Gregory says, this is the burn. This is if the burn was happening right now rather than 100 years ago off screen. See, so he gets me. P.W. <laughs> gets me. Well, do you do you think that it would be better to have a big bad causing this or t- for this to be a, uh, a bizarre circumstance, a bizarre anomaly of, of the universe that is a driving I mean, force to unite people because if, if it's also I, the chain doing this, I feel like it's almost like too much power to right. such a, a silly yeah. little game. Yeah. Like that. I would hope so. If, if, if I was sitting in the writer's room and I'm trying to write the parallel to the pandemic, but in space, right. So you have like the big thing that everyone has to come together in order to try to solve but typically there's some sort of action that everyone has to take in order to solve it, which usually means that there's some thing that we all can have some, (laughs) some, (laughs) like there's something that everyone can do to essentially fix the problem. Right. Which then is typically some, there's some sort of man-made action, whether it was like purposeful or not purposeful to, to have it happen. Right. You know, like the transfer of a, of a virus from person to person isn't um, something people did on purpose in the beginning, right? And then it caused uh, an, an explosion around the entire globe. So right. it's like, what was the origin, you know? And and hopefully that is something that's like a, a, a tangible lesson we can take away. So it's like, you have to right. figure out what the tangible lesson is and then what's the action everybody has to take in order to solve it. That feels like it would coincide with like a, like climate change as well. And right. you know, like, how can we be a part of, of the solution? And do we have it within us to unite on this? And right. the answer is no. I hope the answer is yes. <laughs> in, in, in the past, the answer was yeah. yes in Star Trek. Right. And it was when we we're on the precipice of stuff like this, of mm-hmm. natural disasters and uh, political conflicts causing such division and disruption all over the galaxy that's basically what caused the um the federation to take hold it's like no we need to be better than this we can do better than this and aim for a better ideal let's focus on that um and you know that's where i would love to see obviously love to see the show go but but yeah i think i think uh, i think they are writing you know kind of writing a, a space allegory for the the fallout of the pandemic that we've seen. Doesn't it feel a little too on the nose? Not really. Not for me. I think it would be more on the nose if they're like, there's a a new virus (laughs) spreading across the galaxy. Fair point. (laughs) I'll be on the nose rather than a a face cling on. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't. Everybody put a triple over your nose and mouth. (laughs) Leave it there for the next two years. Do not take it off, mm-hmm. especially when you go to Walmart, please. <laughs> that would have made me really upset. I, you know, Marge <laughs> brings up a good point. I, I keep looking at Grudge, and I mean, I feel like Grudge is the ultimate, like, red herring. Like, I'm expecting at some point to, to like, get this explanation, and maybe, just maybe, Grudge is just a cat. Is it possible that grudge, grudge is just a cat? Grudge, grudge is just a, a, a marketing tool. That's all grudge is. <laughs> it's like, look, we got this cute Maine Coon cat that has a Twitter account on the show. Check it out. Grudge is going to nudge something off of a counter at some point and save the world. Grudge nudge. 
the grudge nudge. Look at yeah. that. Uh, can we talk about uh, Adira a little bit? Mm-hmm. Because I thought that uh, that that last scene, like I mean, I mentioned this a little bit in the hot freak as well, but the idea that you watch a person you love die and it's tragic and it's painful and you're going through that grief. And then all of a sudden they reawaken inside your consciousness and you can, you can communicate with them fully again. There is, there's such an, a, a powerful like psychological um, protective element. I think of like, I now have you safe within my mindscape. So if mm-hmm. uh, you, the only way you can die is if I die and then at mm-hmm. least we're dying together. And then to, to reel back from that, to re-experiencing the trauma of I now have to be vulnerable and have you exist in another body again and be an individual who isn't always with me at all times whenever I need you. Um, yeah, I would imagine that is extremely um, difficult. to kind well, of Grant, Add this complication to it because I love everything you said and I know that me saying that about something you said is rare. So savor that for a moment. Um, <laughs> but also, I think the interesting thing about it was we see Gray getting an opportunity to change elements of their physical being. And so, one, I was like, that would be so cool, like, to be able to remake your, your physicalness. Um, I want to be all- taller. <laughs> we're, we're not even. Like, look, can, can we yesify me a little bit, please? Listen, there. We, listen, there are three men on this podcast. We're not going to get into what we 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 may or may not change about our physique. Um, but I will say, I think that from a a, a Dira standpoint, that's got to be interesting. Like I've been carrying you and this image of you in my mind this entire time and now you're going to go out and you have the ability to change what that is going to be. There's a sense of loss of control. It's to your point, Mm -hmm. Grant, it's like, I get you back, but there is a cost, right? I thought it was a really beautiful way to kind of tell the story of, of being like a trans person and getting to change yourself Mm -hmm. to be the, the image that you have in your head. Um, and how, you know, that that is an adjustment for, you know, your your loved ones when you do transition, right? And like changing how you want the world to perceive you to match the way that you perceive yourself. And so it's really interesting to watch these two um, queer trans characters kind of get to explain it in such a very different way, like within yeah. this particular world and like literally rebuilding the body. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I think it's a very... Like kudos to whoever like scripted that scene specifically because that I felt like that could have been so much more heavy handed. But I I was yeah. like, oh, I see what they're doing here, and I I really appreciated yeah. it. What what's going on with with Gray and Adira is so layered and so specific, but it's it's one of those things where it's so specific the uh, everything about it feels universal. Like we can relate to what's going on with their relationship and. Uh, and it just it's just really touching. I think um, we had Marge in the chat say, Gray's storyline of transition is mm-hmm. significant. I would say it's very significant. And you're right. They're handling it with nuance and with grace. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with both of you guys as far as, um, you know, there's something extremely empowering for Gray uh, of having this opportunity to transition and yeah, make, make changes, um, small, subtle changes, uh, just to just to fine tune anything that you you want that, that would make you happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also to to Clyde's point, yeah, there there is that other little element. You could you could see Adira going, oh, but I, I thought we had come to terms that you were liking that mole on your hand, and uh, I I I just find like how how they are navigating. Um, these conversations are, you know, both both important, but also it's 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 very real, and I like you know yeah. you can identify with it, and you you feel for people, and it's it's endearing. Yeah, I point. saw um, Marks ask this question a few times um, about Gray's reference to being a guardian. So, a guardian in the Trill Society are people who can't host 
symbiotes anymore. And so I'm assuming because this is sort of a hybrid Android type of, of body that um, I believe the, the actual term is golem as we learned in Picard. Mm. So because, because gray will be a golem, you, uh, he would no longer be able to host uh, or join a trill. So they are someone mm-hmm. who takes care of the symbiotes. So that would be my assumption is if they were going to reap, but that also then means that gray has the thought process of wanting to return home yeah. to the planet and not necessarily um, right. be on discovery, which is interesting. Do we, do yep. we have confirmation that, you know, Adira has a symbiote? And can access the memories and emotions of the previous host. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Since, that's what the since, whole, that's what that whole, like into the wormhole we go. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. My question, I know that, but my question is since gray is inside Adira, can she access all those past memories and emotions too? I wonder of, of gray. Yeah. I think she, yeah. Uh, yeah, she can. No, no, no. Can, they, can they, Gray they can. can Gray access oh. all that? Oh, since oh. Gray is inside Adira, Does is my Gray question. have like a whole backlog of all those other characters? I, mm-hmm. I feel like what happens is Gray in 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 her in I guess in her mind in their mind. Gray in their mind. Thank you. Uh, Gray talks to the other um, past host, right? Like it's almost like they share this space inside of consciousness but they're individuals inside okay. of adira's yeah because prior to adira gray was the host and so gray's mind would have had access to all of those things prior to so they i would imagine they are all there they might not be able to access them with the same mm-hmm. ease as adira can at this point because i i would assume after they separate consciousness I don't know. That'll be an interesting question for them to, to sort of explore, like what happens when you do finally separate the consciousness, right. And you're no longer sharing that. Yeah. I am fascinated by this from the standpoint of, you know, I, I think that one thing that we, when I think about Star Trek, um, when we, especially the old Star Trek, right. Like for the most part, we get these characters and we start to see their background. And with the exception of a couple characters that are typically Android or Android like who are trying to be human or even Klingon trying to be human by and large, we don't see a whole lot of incredible transformational growth through individuals. Right. But I think what we're seeing with Adira and gray is this idea that people grow, mature, evolve, change, transform. And for for some of us, that call that causes us to have to come in terms with, well, what do you do when someone that you have loved, cared for, known, been close to changes and sometimes radically? And I think what we're looking at is Adira has been used to having Gray a very particular way for quite a while now. And now Gray is on the precipice of being able to actually transform into something quite different. And I think Adira is at the point where she, where they have to understand that this is happening and how they show up in this instance is important, but it could be different and you have very little say over this transformation. I think that's an important message and a very subtle one that I think they've they've done well with really just talking about a mole. And I love the yeah. fact that Adira didn't go, I mean, I think there was a comment like, I thought you liked the mole or you were comfortable with that mole, but it wasn't like, but I really like your mole. Like it wasn't like that. Right. And that, that scene, that scene also lays the groundwork for um, just a lot of potential conflict and growth between that relationship, that it's just not going to be a kind of boring, been there, done that happily ever after when gray gets the body. Right. I, I want to go back saw... to the, Oh, oh real quick. I want to go back to the idea that uh, gray might be leaving uh, to go back to trail since she since he wants to be a guardian um, Takako points out from memory alpha the Trill Guardians were a group of usually unjoined Trills dedicated to the care of the Trill symbionts. So on Discovery, we see that a, the Trill is inside Adira, a human. 
-hmm. which makes the trill uh, symbiote vulnerable. So it stands to reason that if mm -hmm. Gray wants to be a guardian, the best place he can be is on Discovery, taking care of the symbiote that is inside Adira, because it's it's isn't it the first time uh, mm -hmm. the uh, the yes. a symbiote is inside uh, a non-trill host? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. And, mm -hmm. uh, I I thought that there's a really cool parallel as well with how Adira was remarking on the. Um, the kindness, the patience, and and just listening uh, that Gray was doing to Adira's problems. Uh, the, a nice parallel to um, Hugh, to, to Colbert, doing that as well for multiple people on the mm -hmm. ship. Um, and it's, it's, I guess, just this idea that they seem to be underlining of um, be there for your people, be there for everyone, and just be patient and, and listen. Uh, it, it's not always um, the exact same situation when you're navigating grief. Grief is very different for everyone. And like uh, Culper was saying to Sam, it's like, you know, let, let book kind of guide you on how books navigate in grief and let that be the way you, you talk to book. And uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, they, they did a great job in this episode of, kind of emphasizing the, these elements for multiple angles. Yeah. This one was really about um, what it is like living on one of these ships and how people can benefit from community if they accept it. Mm -hmm. Right. And book book, you know, I think he has accepted the community on the ship to a, a bit, even though it's new to him, but in his, in his extreme fresh grief, he was just alone and he was unable to do it until he had that connection with Burnham at the end. And her words were so, so clear that we're all here for you. And she, she actually echoed Stamets who said that earlier. And then he finally accepted and realized that, and that allowed him to ride the wave, man. And get out of there. Well, there, there's this other beautiful element about this show that, you know, Stamets was saying, or, or Colbert was pointing out to Sam, it's like, hey, you've been through a traumatic uh, incident too, so you can identify you went through grief. But if you think about it, Book is just one more person in a long line of people in this show who are all orphans. They mm -hmm. all have lost their entire world. All of our Discovery crew jettisoned into the future to save their timeline, and they lost everyone and everything that they know as well. So very similar to book they've actually all gone through this and now it's it's about this family on the ship and book is um one more orphan um being being blanketed by his his new found family yep. yeah hey mariah mm -hmm. i know you are always looking forward to a good holodeck episode what did you I think know. about the hol well, okay uh, that answer me this is it it's not a holodeck but it's a hollow emitter that can be in any room. Is that what yes. we saw? Yes. Yeah. Which is a badass choice. Um, and I, one, I'm loving Michael's uh, captain quarters, the ready room, I think looks great. Um, and then I love the hollow aspect and I hope we get to see that used um, more often in fun in different ways. Um, because yeah, they can project holograms like anywhere, like all of their controls are just like them doing mm -hmm. random hand gestures in the air at all times. Um, you want to get rid of that mole? Let me wave my finger around it. It's yeah, gone. It's gone. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I, I really enjoyed that. And I hope we get a fun holodeck experience, especially because now we've formally introduced Zora, our computer. So this is the first time we're getting to hear the computer has uh, selected a name and we're we're slowly building to that, um, you know, short trek that we that we got. That's like the farthest into the future we've ever seen. Where we definitely Calypso. see the Calypso, yeah. Where we've seen mm -hmm. a lot of use of the hollow. So I'm hoping there's some some fun things in there. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really fun, and I thought it was like really nice to get to see Burnham letting us in a little bit about where does she go to kind of like find her composure, and it's going back to to Vulcan slash Navarre. Well, and, mean, and, we, and her embracing Saru and everybody embracing the return of Saru was yeah. also really sweet and important too. Well, we also get from a hollow tech standpoint, the fact that you've got Stamets sitting 
in-book ship mm-hmm. as a hollow interacting with things. Yeah. I think we've we've really they've upped the, the hollow tech in this. And I gotta say, one of my favorite lines of the whole uh, episode was when Stamets is trying to talk the book. And Book is like, I've been on the ship five months, and this is the most you've talked to me the entire time. <laughs> I thought it was like a great way to let, I don't want to say it broke the fourth wall, but that Star Trek jumping ahead of a bunch of Star Trek fans talking about, hey, how come all of a sudden Stamets cares and we've never seen these two really in a room <laughs> together? <laughs> yeah. I want to go back just real quick, Marge. Uh, Gave you some props, Grant, which I agree with. Great point that we, they are all orphans. I think that is just a running theme on this show that's so strong and powerful. But I want to jump to some, we have some theories in the chat here. So let's have some fun with these theories. Uh, Can somebody read WYSIWYG's theory? It's kind of small on my screen. Yeah. Um, Pod, my anomaly theory is that the Mirrorverse grudge walked across the keyboard of the prototype score drive, <laughs> and that's why the anomaly looked like a cat eye at the end of this episode. <laughs> that was kind of weird, I gotta admit. Like, I, I wasn't sure if that was like, I was like, what am I looking at? Is this a face? Is this like an Egyptian hier- hieroglyphic? Like, what is Okay, was that, was that supposed to be the anomaly, or was that just a warp signature at the end, that kind of eye shape? Or what's that? I, the eye shape also looked similar to something that happened in Voyager. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, chat. If you remember the yeah, Voyager reference, a, the pioneer anomaly potentially. Uh, Kern says uh, also could be that new pathfinder drive that Starfleet is developing. Yeah. I think we mentioned this last mm-hmm. week. Uh, the president mentioned they're developing a new spore drive and something called a pathfinder drive. So they're, they're fucking with all kinds of like weird space time travel shit um, over at Starfleet headquarters. So who knows what they're doing to space? That would track. I mean, typically anytime Star Starfleet starts to mess with like drives and warp, warp, warp signatures, something blows up and causes a catastrophe. So that makes uh, sense. Yeah, Chupi and other people are answering my question. The the anomaly was that eye shape. It, it's mm-hmm. like a black hole. Uh, that's what the black holes look like. Ah, yeah, um, the black holes have an elliptical yeah. look in real life. A gravitation ellipse. A gravitation uh, ellipse was from Voyager. One small step. It's a fast-moving anomaly that can travel through subspace, normal space, and even other dimensions. The ellipse was drawn to electromagnetic energy. Um, such as those emitted by spacecraft, which is interesting because we have not had warp drives since for a very long time, right? Because of the dilithium issue. Discovery did it. (laughs) Uh, So Mariah, are you saying that basically it's like if we all went to like solar energy, now all of a sudden we have combustible energies again, and it's causing all kinds of environmental issues only in space. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, question for you guys. The hologram stuff, I mean, I, I, I got the nod to Picard that, uh, oh, Picard was a synthetic, one of the mm-hmm. first ones, and they didn't really do it too often because a lot of people's consciousness intake, whatever. Um, but we also saw in Picard um, that his his room could be a hollow, whatever you guys are talking about, a holodeck that could move around. Or based on yeah, his his office on in Picard, the ship could become its own kind of holodeck. Mm-hmm. Right, he made it look like his room at the chateau. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, but we also saw these uh, hollow um, people based on uh, the soccer dude. I'm sorry, I'm not good with the names here. But the guy who played soccer, the pilot in Picard. Uh, anyone... Oh, the the holodeck doctor. Rios. 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 Okay, yeah. Rios. Um, we mm-hmm. saw that there could be other versions of him that were holograms. Um, is that, are there other hologram people in, in Trek? Yeah, very yeah. much. They're, they're oh, okay. uh, typically they, they've been um, emergency they're like- computer programs. Like if your doctor dies, there's a holographic doctor that can temporarily replace that doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Unless you're a Voyager and you're stranded out in the middle of nowhere and you can't find n- another doctor. So that holographic doctor becomes one of the main characters of the show for seven okay. years. 
Yeah, but it's not like a con. It's like uh, someone's information has been downloaded into a program. It wouldn't be like a conscious being could not really function oh, okay. completely as a hologram because that's how we saw Gray in the first place at the end of last season. Was the hollow um, could detect that there was another consciousness mm-hmm. present and created the holographic version? Is that what they use that? that idea in order to have Stamets be a hologram present, like a, a human consciousness hologram present on uh book ship. It seems like it's a tech that must've been developed in the between time, because it was definitely something that would have been f- almost possible in the Picard era. So it would make sense that it's something that, you know, you could essentially plug in and be hologrammed into another space. Someone also said a uh, hollow Janeway, but that's, that's another programmed version, mm-hmm. right? That's not her actual conscious. Correct. Right. But that's interesting because, I mean, we got the Picard reference. I'm curious if we will get a very vague lower deck or prodigy reference. Maybe I don't see we'll why not. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, I think so often we see this, this big separation between it's almost this canon separation between live action and animation. Mm-hmm. Like if we get a reference to Lower Decks or and to Prodigy, to me what that would symbol is that we fully embrace these animated validation. Yeah. What if there's canon. a USS Boimler? First of all, I don't. Th- the, the only problem with that is <laughs> Discovery doesn't typically have that type of humor in it, but it would be hilarious. Maybe, maybe not a whole ship, but maybe there's like a sh- like a Boimler shuttlecraft. I mean, I no, no, that- like a Freeman reference or right. a, you know yeah. something like a the, the, or a- sh- that this movie. the series finale of um, uh, Lower Decks. It's going to be. Uh, people on discovery watching a hologram version of an event that happened, but it's going to be played by the actual actors like that would be incredible. Jack Wade and all them. Yeah. I mean, to, to that awesome. point, what would be interesting if we saw something like that and they did live, like it was live action instead of, right. That's what I like meant. A, yeah. A whole, that would be, that'd be hilarious. K- kind of like the, the last episode of um, uh, enterprise, but, but fun. You know, Eugene Cordero is going to have to really start uh, putting on some muscle. <laughs> He's got. Oh, it. and I if think. we did have uh, the uh, the the USS Boimler, CJ Higgins says we would have a a Boimler poop deck. <laughs> poop jokes. Thank you. Yes, very lower decks of you. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to say about this episode of Disco before we wrap? Hmm. I mean, shout out to the bridge crew who each got like this, like freeze frame close up of just like smiling or looking. Like I thought, like sometimes I feel like there's so many of them um, that we wait till we get this one episode. But each one of them had a moment, kind of on camera, that I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, and we got, um, you know, Bryce sort of saved the day. We got lots of good, um, I felt like, interactions between, like, Owo and Dittmer and Michael. And so it's really starting to feel like, you know, there's a cohesive grouping there. I am worried about Bryce. I don't think we, we you were here for this uh, last week, Clyde. But, you know, I feel like we're probably getting set up for somebody is going to have to die this season. Well, I, you know, I think, you know, we're, I think you said this earlier, you opened the show with this Mariah that it's settling in mm-hmm. to track. Like, I agree with you. I've loved every, every season, but for a while there, it felt like we were getting like a new series every season. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like this is Trek and Trek that we know is an ensemble to solve problems. Yeah, And this, this is really one of the first times we've seen, the bridge crew come together to actually solve a problem. And they're like, well, we could do this. And it's like, well, could Detmer do this? And, and oh, like, oh, we'll do like, th- that's what we know of Trek. And I like that. And I don't disagree that I think that we're getting a lot of Bryce FaceTime. A- and I, at one point I'm watching and I was like, okay, he's wearing a gold shirt. So 
that could be good, but technically so was Tasha Yar when she bit it. So <laughs> Chupi yeah. says in all caps, no one <laughs> is dying. Stop yeah, it. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's dying. Yeah, a good comment here from Charlie uh, who said, have you guys noticed this season they're using uh, Owosakan's full name rather than mm -hmm. shortening it to Owo all the time? I, at oh, first, I, I thought the Owo thing was, was fine, was, was cool, but it just it feel, felt kind of awkward after a while. I like mm -hmm. that they're using her full name. Yeah, especially because like no one else is getting the shorthand, right? You know, it'd be like one thing if everybody had a nickname, but like, yeah, they're not saying Mikey or Mike Barnum. <laughs> Mike um, one thing, one comment I wanted to make uh, was the the uniforms looked awesome this episode. I was really loving them all in the, the beginning of this episode. Yes, did you guys already say that? Clyde doesn't like them. Clyde hates See, them. This is what I'm talking about, Grant. I love you on the podcast, but we rarely agree on anything. I think they look great. And I know I saw there was an interview today with Anthony Rapp and um, he was talking about how apparently these new uh, uniforms are so comfortable. They're like almost pajama like, but they have some neoprene in them, which makes them really warm, which he said he likes because the sets are very cold. So uh, hey. <laughs> I thought they looked super cool. And, you know, it's, it's such a, a quick fix from the uh, season uh, three finale where they had those gray ones with like the red stripe or yellow stripe yeah. instead it's all red with the the darker stripe going down and mm -hmm. it that with all the pins that they're doing the emblems on there it just i love seeing all the different colors of of the uniforms of the different uh the different groupings of people especially now that i have a better association of what those are from from watching lower decks yeah uh, it, it's cool because you know Discovery was my first uh, kind of foray into Trek and everyone had blue uniforms. So um, it wasn't really until diving into some of the movies, I guess, but really more so lower decks where I saw, oh, okay, each of these are, are groupings based on specialties. And you see that. Yeah. The, the color differ differentiation was needed, especially mm -hmm. to pop them out of that dark blue background and Carmen says I love the uniforms too the asymmetrical hems are cool that was a detail yeah. I didn't notice until this episode though the hems are asymmetrical and I think that just looks awesome I, it's like I, they listen. always have a French tuck I feel like I, mm -hmm, France would mm -hmm. be really excited <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm still on the fence a little bit I'm just I almost there and I was noticing like you've got Saru and he's got this this badge and I couldn't help but think like well you know it's a brooch it, whatever my thought was, how much flair are you gonna have, and will you have enough flair on your on your uniform? You don't you have need to 12, have a you need thirteen point. pieces of flair at least. Yeah. I'm just saying, like I'm just wondering, like I'm just I'm not so sure. Threw his fire in his uniform. All right, look, I'm clearly right you as well, the minority in this in terms of my liking of the uniforms. Uh, I love the coloring. I'm just not quite sure about them. Just not quite sure. <laughs> All right. You'll love them by two episodes in. Probably. You'll love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love them. And Be by the time you love them, I'll hate them. <laughs> <laughs> nah. That's how it works. Accurate. Accurate. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks, everyone, for tuning into the pod live. Listeners, if you're listening later, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another dive into Discovery season four with a review of the third episode uh mariah how can people find us and stuff yeah so you can visit star trek pod.co to find all of the ways that you can support this podcast you can find links to watch the video version you can find links to download the audio version make sure you hit subscribe and if you uh, want to watch us on youtube you can hit subscribe and that notification bell so that you know when we are going live um clyde how else can people find us on the internet I think you should follow us uh, at at Star Trek Pod on Insta and Twitter. You want to know what we're up to, what's going on? That's one of many ways to uh, keep in the loop. What's popping? All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I'll jump in next and just say uh, you can also support us over at patreon.com slash Star Trek Pod. Go there and make a per episode pledge of two bucks an episode and you can join us on our exclusive Star Trek Slack channel. If you don't know what Slack is, it's just like a chat group um and we'll send you a link to it it's pretty cool we got a bunch of great people there and they will welcome you with open <laughs> arms 
and uh, Clyde <laughs> is coughing the number two for $2. That's patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. We love you guys. We do. Thank you so much for joining us again. And remember, live long and prosper. Bye.